Easter is different things to different people. Uh, I grew up in a middle class family. My dad was in a, ended up being an executive with Texaco. And we moved around quite a bit. And uh, so Easter to me, uh, because we did not have family around us, it was just our family. It was my sister my, and my mom and my dad, just the four of us. And so we ended up with a number of traditions. So on a typical Easter morning when I was a child, I would wake up in the morning and there would be an Easter basket. And then often there would be a stuffed animal or something along those lines. So uh, this is one of my early Easter's. Uh, to give you a typical idea of, uh, you got that, guys? Um, this is my sister and I. I can't get any more humble than this, believe me. Uh, and so this was a typical, typical Easter would involve something like this. It was usually a, a basket, Easter basket and a stuffed animal. And, of course, if you wonder why I always think bigger is better, well, it started early. Uh, and then it involved another thing. It usually involved, and this was a different culture, a different time, but it always involved Easter clothes. And it always involved dressing up for Easter. That was a big deal. So here's one of, our early, here's one of my earliest Easter's because um, suits were big, 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 big. And so I, from a young age, started wearing a suit and a tie. And now you wonder why I've abandoned the tie. It's because I... I've worn enough ties in my lifetime that I've reached my limit. I'm not allowed to. So weddings and funerals, I wear ties now. Um, here's another one, uh, another Easter. I think this was a little bit older. Uh, bow tie, wow. Uh, but this was a typical Easter in our home. And uh, we're in a culture now where we've kind of gotten away from the dressing up on Easter thing. And I know for some of you it's, a, it's still a big deal. And, and for others, um, it's not a big deal. Um, and here at church, we focus more on the, the inward than the outward, so we're glad that you're here. We don't put a big emphasis on what you wear in order to come here. Um, but uh, I got to thinking about Easter and Jesus and clothes. And I started thinking about what did Jesus wear? Now, not what did Jesus wear on Easter, okay? Um, but what did Jesus wear through his life? And were clothes important to it? And the more I started reading and the more I started putting pieces together, the more I started realizing the clothes that Jesus wore tell the Easter story. And so this morning, I want to take a little bit different twist on Easter, and I want to talk about the clothes that Jesus wore. Because I think in, that, in the lessons that we see in Scripture, the clothes that Jesus wore, we start to see the Easter story all the way from the beginning. So, we look, first of all, at the earliest clothes that um, Jesus wore. And it is in Luke chapter 2. And here's what it says. This is Jesus talking to the shepherds. You remember this. You read this at Christmas all the time. For there is born unto you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. The first reference that we see to Jesus in regard to clothes are this thing called swaddling clothes. <clears throat> now, there's a lot of theories about what swaddling clothes really are um, and why this is significant. Uh, one idea is that there's some extra-biblical literature, and, and um, it, Solomon says that he, when he was born, he was in swaddling clothes. And some people look at that, that story 
and they link Jesus to it in being the son of David, uh, just as Solomon was the son of David. There are some theories that there are some ideas that uh, when people would travel, they would carry strips of cloth with them. And one of the things that would happen is when often when they would travel, if somebody would die, um, you had to get the body to the next city. So if you're traveling along the road and somebody passed away, they would have these strips of cloth that they could use to wrap somebody up just temporarily to get them to the next city because it's hard to carry a body that's not, that's just, you know, or that, that, that where rigidity is set in. And so that, that, was a, that was a thought. Both of those are just speculation. Here's what, here's what we do know. We do know this. We do know that these shepherds were to make their way to find Jesus. And that the unique thing about Jesus, the unique thing about this Savior is that they will find him wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. In other words, there was something unique, there was something different about this baby that wasn't normal. I I would think just finding a a baby in a cattle trough would be enough, but it, it says that it specifically talks about his clothes, that they were swaddling clothes. So these shepherds were able to recognize that this, this little baby, wrapped this way, is the Son of God, the Son of David, the King of Kings, the Savior of the world. And they were able to recognize it from the very beginning. You really see in that story the fact that this is God wrapped in human flesh. You really see the fact that God has become a man. And God has made himself into into humanity, has wrapped human flesh around himself. The rest of the Bible, in the story of Jesus, we see one, one, one odd reference, and that's to a woman who touches the hem of his garment. Um, and in that story, the focus isn't what he's wearing. The focus is more the idea of her faith in reaching out and touching Christ. But Jesus goes his entire life, and we don't find much about his clothing again until the Passion Week. And the next main reference that we find is here. Um, this is in uh, the uh, Gospel of, uh, where are we guys? Help me out here. In Mark, it says, and this is talking about the crucifixion, just before the crucifixion. It says, and they clothed him with purple, and they plaited a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they began to salute him, hail, king of the Jews. And they smote him on the head with a reed, and they spit upon him, bowing their knees, they worshiped him. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple from him and put on his own clothes, and they led him out to be crucified. If you know the story of, of the Passion Week, here's what happens. They scourge Jesus. I don't want to go into detail about that. Let me just say this. The Romans have perfected the art of taking a man to the brink of death without killing him. It was the whole purpose of crucifixion. It was the whole purpose of scourging. They were Scourging a person was an art. And it was an art in which they ripped flesh off in order to bring the person to the point of death without killing them. Jesus had just been scourged. They grabbed a a robe or a piece of cloth or or some kind of garment and threw it on him. Some of the Bible references refer to it as scarlet. Some of them refer to it as purple. If you've ever seen pictures or paintings of this, often it's some beautiful, gorgeous robe. Let me tell you something. They would not have used a valuable robe on someone they were trying to kill. They would have just grabbed whatever was, was, was around. They were mocking him. This, he, they didn't really want him to look like a king. This was all a big joke. And they put this on him. 
and they put a crown of thorns on and they start beating him and, and spitting upon him and they bow down and worship him and they make a joke. But here's the reality of it is, the reality of it is, as they sat there and called him the king of the Jews, he was king of kings and Lord of lords. And he stood there as king of the universe, as ruler of the world. And yet he humbly took that. But you see this idea of Jesus as king. Um, unfortunately, what we don't talk about is what would have happened next. And when they took that robe off, when they peeled it off of his skin, it would have basically his back would have become one, law, one large scab. So it would have started the bleeding all over again. Some of the writers refer to it as crimson, red. Some of them refer to it as purple. Um, the idea is that um, it, was, it, was, it was such a hodgepodge of a mess that, that it's so close that it's, it's, it's not even a call. They would have taken that on him and they put his own clothes back on him. So now we find Jesus wearing the clothes that he had worn throughout his ministry, throughout his life. And the next statement that we see is actually Jesus is, He's led to the cross, and he is put on the cross. Now, unfortunately, I would like to tell you that all the paintings that you see with Jesus on the cross are accurate, but the reality of it is often a person was stripped down completely and hung on the cross. They were not hung up high like you often see in the pictures. The idea is that many times they were a foot, maybe two feet off the ground. See, the purpose of crucifixion was for everybody to come by and make fun of them. The purpose of crucifixion was for you to be close enough to be able to hit them or spit on them or whatever. The guards were simply standing there to make sure you didn't kill them. Because you see, the purpose of crucifixion was to drag out death as long as humanly possible. The problem was this was Passover. The problem was Sabbath was coming. And Romans tried to honor the Jews by not allowing someone to be crucified hanging on a cross alive for the Sabbath. And that's where they come by and try to, often what they would do is they would break their legs and the reason they broke their legs is because in crucifixion, you didn't die. You, you, you died because you, of lack of breath. Um, the person would pull themselves up to catch a breath, and then they would drop back down. So by breaking their legs, they had no way to get the, the air up other than their arms. And by this point, many of the people being crucified had, um, didn't have the strength to do that. So when they come to Jesus, they don't break his legs because they think he's already died. But just to make sure, they thrust a spear into his side, and you know the story, blood and water come gushing out. Um, the medical people can tell you it's, it, it's because the heart has overworked itself so much that uh, there's so much edema on the heart. And so you have that story. You have that, that crucifixion. They, they, they then have him now at the cross. One of the things that a Roman would do, one of the advantages to being a Roman soldier is that when you crucified somebody, you got to take part in whatever things they owned. So the next story that we find is in John, and here's what it says. Um, John chapter 19, Then the soldiers, when they crucified Jesus, took his garment. And they made four parts to every soldier part. So in other words, these guys got together, and they said, okay, there's four of us. Let's take the four things that Jesus has, um, and let's, everybody gets one. So somebody can have a belt, somebody can have the sandals. Um, and notice what it says. It said, that, and to every soldier part, and also his coat. Now, the coat was without seam woven from top throughout. Therefore, they said among themselves, let us rent, let's not rent it, but cast lot for it. Often what they do is they take the, the, the garment or the coat, that, the robe that he was wearing, they tear it up into fours, and they say, here, here's a shop rag, here's a shop rag, here's a shop rag, here's a shop rag. Um, and, and everybody would get one. But when they saw this coat, there was something unique about this coat that Jesus was wearing. 
And so it goes on and it says, let us not rent it. Let's not tear this up, but let's cast lots for it. Now, let's throw the dice. And whoever wins gets the rope. Whoever wins gets the coat. That's what we're going to do. And it says, for the scripture might go full, they parted my raiment among them, but my vesture they did not, they cast lots. There's there. These things, therefore, the soldiers did. They didn't realize that these soldiers were fulfilling the Old Testament when they did this. Because this has already been predicted. Now, that's not significant to us because we blow past this. Um, and, but what's unique is this. See where it says um, that the coat was without seam woven from top throughout? This story of parting the, rain, the, the garments of Jesus in the, in, the, in, in the Gospels is mentioned in all four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John talk about this story. Now that becomes significant because every Gospel is presenting Jesus in a different way. And when you find all four Gospels saying, telling the same story, that story is important. It's really, really, really important. John is the only one here who mentions that this, the, the garment did not have a seam. Because you see, the writer in the Gospel of John is presenting Jesus as the Son of God. If you go back to the Old Testament, here's what you will find. When they were talking about the high priest, and they were talking about the garments of the high priest, the garment of the high priest was not to have a semen. It was woven, which was an incredibly difficult technique. It was someone who had tremendous skill and someone who had tremendous effort in making that garment. So it would have been a garment that was made with love, but it would have been a garment very similar to what a high priest would have worn. Here's what's unique. Hang on that cross is Jesus Christ, the great high priest, who was also going to be the sacrifice. Now, if you know anything about Passover and if you know anything about the Jewish system and the way that it worked, here's, here's a nutshell. Well, what happened is that priest would make a sacrifice for the sins of the people. He would then walk into the Holy of Holies and he would sprinkle blood on the altar. Now, at this point in, in the history, it happened once a year when the priest would go into the Holy of Holies. When the priest would do that, there was a problem. What if the priest wasn't right before God? I mean, he was supposed to be the most holy man in, in, in all, of, all of Israel at the time. If he walked into the Holy of Holies and he was not right with God, God would strike him dead. Now here's a question. <clears throat> what do you do if he dies in there? If he's the most holy guy and God didn't take his sacrifice and wiped him out, who's next to go in there? So here's what they would do. They would wait and they put bells on, on the robe of the high priest so they could hear the bells to know that he was still alive. And then they would tie a rope around his waist so that if he died in there, they could drag his body out. Because you see, what they were waiting for was the moment that the great high priest would walk out from the Holy of Holies and out from the holy place, and it was a recognition to the people that the sin offering had been accepted. Now, think about the resurrection story for a minute. Jesus Christ is the great high priest. And Jesus Christ is the ultimate sacrifice for sin. Sheds his blood. They wrap his body up. They put it in a tomb. And three days later, he walks out, acknowledging the fact that God had accepted their sacrifice and that God had approved of the death of Jesus Christ. 
And so you see the story of Jesus unfold in that. Then you come to the last reference that we have to the earthly close of Christ, and here's where it's found. This is the one that you read this that, that Lael read this morning. Um, later on in John, here's what he says. They both ran. This would have been Peter and John together. And the other disciple did outrun Peter and first came to the sepulcher. And he stooping down, looking in, saw the linen clothes lying, yet he went not in. Then come aside. So John gets there first, outruns Peter. He goes, he sees what's happening. He goes, I'm not going in there. Um, and then comes Peter, Peter following him. He went into the sepulcher and see where the clothes were. You know Peter. Peter. Peter did something and then thought about it. So Peter just barrels in there. And notice what it says. The napkin that was about his head was not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. Now, some of you have probably seen the internet thing that's running around about the napkin and the folded napkin by the head of Jesus and how it was about a meal and come back. Historically and biblically, that's a stretch. There are people who have all kinds of ideas on what this means, but let me tell you for sure what we know that it means. What we know that it means is this. When they walked into that tomb, it was a place of order. Everything is neatly folded. Everything is in its place. Because you see, later, people are going to come along and say, hey, they stole the body. Well, let me tell you something. If you're stealing the body, you're fearing being caught, and you're in and out as fast as you can. You're not worried about folding stuff up and putting it away. Not only that, if you steal a body, here's the thing. Why would you unwrap it? You see, if you're going to steal a body, your goal is to steal the body, and the last thing you want is to have to deal with a body that's not wrapped. So the fact that as they go into this tomb, everything's in order and everything's folded up and everything's set aside. I like what one commentator said. He said, what happened is Jesus, Jesus comes out, of, Jesus wakes up in the tomb, he unwraps himself, he folds it all out, then he takes all that and puts that aside. One guy said, you know, thought angels did it. Doesn't matter how, but it's interesting because a week or so before, when Lazarus comes out of the tomb, Jesus has to tell them, look, unwrap him. Nobody unwraps Jesus that we know of. It's not all, but everything's laid in place. And then Jesus says, now it's time to walk out of the tomb. And Jesus leaves that, that tomb alive. And we celebrate that this day. So, I think you see in the close of Jesus the Easter story. You see in that baby the humanity of Jesus, the fact that God came to this world for us. The Bible said, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You see the fact that he's king of kings and lord of lords. You see, it's interesting. You want to know when the next mention of Jesus' clothes are in the Bible? In the book of Revelation, where he comes back on a white horse, and on his robe and on his thigh are written, King of kings and Lord of lords. You see, it talks about, it tells us that incredible story. And those people had no concept at all. That as they stood there and mocked him, they were mocking the King of kings and Lord of lords. But yet you see Jesus going to the cross in these simple garments of a priest. Why? Because he was simply, he was our sacrifice. He was not only the Lamb of God, which is, takes away the sin of the world, which was to be sacrificed, but he was also the mediator between God and man. And that's why Jesus said when he was here, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. He's the mediator. He's the great high priest for us to get to God. And then finally you see 
the resurrection of an accepted sacrifice that God has accepted and God has approved and has paved the way for us to have eternal life. If you know me, you know one of the things that particularly guys that are up here have learned about me is this idea that uh, I'm a visual guy. I, I have to see it. So when somebody's up here trying to tell me how to do something, I'm like, okay, draw it out, go show me how to do it, i got to figure it out that way. Until I can see it. That, for the stage, I couldn't explain it to everybody, so I borrowed Legos from my kid and we made a Lego model. So I can go, this is what it's going to look like. Um, that's, that's the way I do it. So I've used this illustration before, but I think it so well fits today that I want to use it again. Because I think it tells the story of what Jesus does. You see, the Bible says that when we, are, um, when we are born into this world, that when we come into this world, we are sinners. We sin. I don't think there's any debate on this. This actually used to be a good jacket of mine. Um, but what happened was, I uh, noticed one Sunday while I was up here that I, somehow I had two little holes in it. So I stopped wearing it, and then I started using it for an illustration. Now, the first time I did this, I had spray paint and just about... Knocked everybody out in the auditorium. They can tell this was a long time ago. Okay. I did try it on this morning to make sure it fits, you know. I, I would love to tell you that's because sin doesn't feel comfortable anymore. But, um, you know, no, that's not. Um. But the Bible says that we are, we are sinners. So the idea is this, that as we go through our life, um, we sin. We, 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 um, we end up. Falling short of God's standard. So God says not to lie, and how long does it take a child before they're lying? Not long. Go in and say, okay, who did this? Okay. Uh, my oldest, was it, who was it? Jimmy? Was it Jimmy? Gouda? Oh, yeah. Jimmy had an imaginary friend, Gouda, that did everything. Who did this? Gouda did. No idea. But Gouda did everything wrong. Um, but that's what happens is we sin. And so as we go through life, we continue to sin. And here's the thing. If we now die, because the Bible says it's appointed a man wants to die, everybody is going to come to a point that they take their last breath of their heartbeat. They stand before God. Now here's the thing. You stand before God as a sinner. Now there's all kinds of people who are going to tell you all kinds of things. Some people will say, look, here's the deal. If you go to church, then, 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 then you're good. Well, that way you're bad. Okay? Here's what I would say. How clean can I get this jacket? When I come up here and paint it white, it's not going to do it. I can take it to a dry cleaner and say, hey, you think I get the spots out? You know, they're going to look at me. You're going to be crazy. See, you can do what you want to try to clean this up, but here's the bottom line. It's still marked by sin. No matter what you do, it's marked by sin. So you have to stand before God in your sin. Now, here's the thing. If you know anything about heaven, heaven's a perfect place, right? A perfect place without what? Sin. So there's a question. If I just clean it up and I still have a little bit of sin on it, how in the world am I going to have access to God in heaven in a perfect place without sin? God has no choice but to look at me and go, no. No. When Adam and Eve sinned, what was the first thing God did? Cast them out of the garden. He said, you can't be here anymore. Because this is a place without you have chosen sin. You have chosen sin over me. You can't be here anymore. This is how this is what happens to us in life. John 3.16 tells us that God understood this. And God looked at this and God said, I'm going to make a way. 
So what happens is Jesus Christ comes to this earth. That's what we just read about. He is God. So I want this to represent God. God is sinless. God has no sin. Jesus Christ comes to this earth as God. He wraps himself in human flesh. He becomes a man. And he walks among us. Now here's the thing. At no point does he sin. 33 plus years. He never has a wrong thought. He never says a wrong thing. He never does anything wrong. He's tempted. He's tempted in all the areas you and I are tempted. He's tempted to cheat. He's tempted to lie. He's tempted to steal. He's tempted tempted to, to, to get angry and hate someone. But he never does. So now here's the question. So now Jesus Christ lives for 33 years plus years on this earth. Sinless. The Bible's real quick. The wages of sin is what? Death. The only reason we die is because of sin. So here's a question. If Jesus Christ has never sinned, he should never die. There's no reason for him to die. Why? Because he's perfect. He's sinless. But you see, Jesus Christ made a choice. And he said, I'll tell you what. I will die voluntarily on their behalf. I will go to the cross. I will suffer all the shame and all the agony and all the stuff that comes with it. So what happens is Jesus goes to the cross and, and this is important, he sheds his blood. Because without the shedding of blood, there's no way sin can be taken care of. So Jesus goes to the cross. And on the cross, something unique happens. On the cross, the Bible says, he who knew no sin puts that aside and willingly becomes sin for us. So Jesus Christ, who's absolutely perfect, takes our sin on him. God the Father, looking down on this event, sees God the Son. Now, he who knew no sin became sin for us. God the Father turns his back on God the Son for the only time. You see, God, Martin Luther said it this way, God forsaken of God, I'll never understand it. The earth goes dark for three hours. <clears throat> the, the veil is rent from the top to the bottom in the holy of holy place. What you see in that moment, what you see in that time, is the fact that God has taken upon him the sin of the world, and Jesus Christ cries out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Because Jesus became sin for us at that moment. And he cries out, and then finally he says, It is finished. I have paid the price. I have done the work. It is now done. They take his body down. They put it in a tomb. Three days later, Jesus Christ comes out. He's alive. And the reason that he's alive is because God has accepted that sacrifice for our sin. The veil is rent from top to bottom. There is no more need for the high priest. Why? Because Jesus was the great high priest. That's the story of Easter. That's the story of what happened. So, how does that apply to us today? Here's what it comes down to. You and I are sinners. This is how we would stand before God in our sin. You take your last breath today. Your heart beats for the last time today. You stand before God like this. And God has to say what? Depart. Depart. There's a place for people who've rejected me. We don't talk about it a lot. But believe me, folks, hell is real. 
If you want to, if you if you sit here this morning and you believe in heaven, you need to understand there has to be a hell then. It's not like there's like heaven and then like limbo. No, no, you you don't get to pick and choose like that. If you're going to believe in a heaven, then there has to be a hell. And the Bible says that those who have rejected Christ, that's where they spend eternity. Why? Because of their sin. Because we're sick. Look, go clean it up however you want. Come to church every week. Come to church every day. You're not going to get it clean. But here's a question. Jesus Christ took my sin upon him. What's available? His righteousness. He didn't have to die. His righteousness is available. All I have to do is say, God, I realize I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. And Lord, as best as I know how, I want you to forgive me of my sin. I want you to come into my heart. I want you to be my Lord and Savior. I want your righteousness. Then here's what happens. The righteousness of Jesus Christ, his perfectness, his sinlessness is now applied to my life. So now, I die, and I stand before God. Now how am I standing? In the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Does God see this? No. What does God see? He sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Do I still sin? Do I still struggle? Yeah, I still got sin. I, I still have a struggle. But it's covered with what? The righteousness of Jesus Christ. So now, when Jim Thomas takes his last breath, when I take, when my heart beats for the last time, because I, as a teenager years ago, said, Lord, I need a Savior. I can't take care of my sin on my own. I need you to forgive me of my sin. The righteousness of Jesus Christ was applied to my life. And from that moment on, God sees Christ. But it's a choice. You see, the irony is this. We're glad you're here today. And truthfully, I really don't care what you're wearing. But there's coming a day when you are going to stand before an almighty God. And what you wear on that day will be very important. Because you're either going to stand before Christ in your sin or you're going to stand before God in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. The Bible says that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, no one gets to the Father but through me. Try to clean it up all you want. People go, there's many ways to God. Then Jesus Christ was a liar because Jesus Christ said there's only one way. People say, well, you know, that's just what you believe. I believe what Jesus said. If you want to blow it off, blow it off. But the reality of it is you will stand before God in your own goodness, to which, if you were really honest, there's not a lot of goodness there. Because of your sin. Because it takes one sin to keep you out of heaven. One. My challenge 
is for each of you to understand that this season is about a Savior who walked out of an empty tomb. About a Savior who paid an incredible price. And just think about it for a second. You really think that if, there, that if you could clean this up, or if there was a way for you to get to heaven apart from Jesus Christ doing this, God would have gone through this? You really think Christ would have gone to a cross? In fact, Christ prays, Lord, if there's any other way, let's go to plan B. But if this is the only way, then your will be done, not mine. I'll do what you want me to do, but Lord, if there's any other way. And for you to sit here and believe this morning that you can stand before a holy God, having rejected his son and choosing another way to God, and he's still going to let you into heaven? You're sadly mistaken. The reason we're here is because of that story. The reason we're here, the reason this place exists, is because we want people to know what Jesus did. And we want everyone to know that story. Do we have fun with Easter? Yeah. Do we do the bunnies and the eggs and all of that stuff? Yeah, we can do that stuff. But that's all on the side. The important message is that we serve a risen Savior who came to take our place. I, I, it's our prayer that everyone here is ready for the day they stand before God, clothed in the righteousness of Christ, not trusting themselves or anything else. It's pretty simple. Somebody called it the ABCs. That you acknowledge the fact that you're a sinner. I don't think there's going to be much debate here. All i got to do is find somebody who knows you, and we can pretty much solve that one. Okay? We're all sinners. We all look like that. But the Bible says that if we'll believe in our heart, that God hath raised him from the dead, and put our faith and trust in Christ, that whosoever wants to do that can come to God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Paul, in writing the Romans, said it this way, that if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. The righteousness of Christ applied to our lives. It's our prayer that you do that. It's our prayer that everyone that comes here knows that. It's our prayer that we try to live that way because of what Christ has done for us. It's not about cleaning up the outside. It's about change from the inside out. So I do this from time to time, but if I could have just for a moment every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're here this morning and you say, okay, PJ, that's Pastor Jim. That makes sense. And I know that I'm a sinner, and I know I need a Savior, and I, I, I kind of want to settle that today. Pray a prayer similar to this. You don't have to do this word for word. This has got to be from your heart. Lord, I know I'm a sinner, and Lord, I know I need a Savior. And Father, I understand that you came to take care of my sin. And Father, as best as I know how this morning, I'm asking you to forgive me of my sin, to come into my heart, to be my Lord and Savior. And Lord, I am trusting you and you alone for my eternal destiny.
Thank you for Easter and for doing this for me. Look up here for a moment. If that's your heart prayer, it's so simple. There's a thief that was hanging on a cross next to Christ who acknowledged this, and that moment in time, in the last moments of his life, stood before God in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Christ looked at him and said, Today, you'll be with me in paradise. Salvation is that simple. Does that mean you won't struggle? No. Does that mean life is all roses and rainbows? Talk to any of us. It's anything but. Does that mean that my sin's all, all gone and I'll never deal with sin again? No. But what it does mean is that my sin and my life and my destiny is covered in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And if you've done that this morning, please talk to one of us because there's no greater joy for us. Many of us here have done that. And it was a life changing. By the way, there are a lot of people that have done that here on Easter. And it was a life-changing moment for them in their lives. And we're thrilled you're here. It's the most important. If you say, you know, that's not for me right now. I want more time to think about it, pray about whatever else. Great. There's a, there's a whole bunch. Back there by the coffee thing, there's all kinds of little tracks that tell you and go through this and just pick one based on the picture. You know, they all say the same thing, just in different ways. But the most important thing for each of us is that when our day comes, because it will come. And when that moment comes that we stand before an almighty, holy God, we do not stand there in our own merits, but rather because of what Jesus Christ has done. For us, it's the most important thing in all the world. And your eternal life, your eternal destiny, depends on what you do with Jesus Christ. So please, give it some careful thought. And uh, if you put your faith and trust in Christ, we rejoice with you. Um, because it has made a difference in the way we live as well. I end this morning with this. The close of Jesus tell the Easter story. God who humbles himself as a man and walks among us sinless and perfect. He willingly goes to the cross as our sacrifice and our great high priest. He comes out of a tomb alive forever and offering to everyone forgiveness of sin and a new life with him. It's our prayer that you know that as well. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for this season, for an empty tomb, for a Savior who loves us. And Lord, <clears throat> may each of us be ready. Because Lord, the one thing that we are all assured of is that life is short, 